coming up on the Broke at 40 podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about your savings rate and how I think it is your way to financial success. Coming up next. Hey, before we start our episode, always remember, if you don't want to be broke at 40 like I was, or if you are broke at 40, stay tuned on a weekly basis where I explore the basics of personal finance and more importantly, the behaviors that can bring you from broke to brilliance, whatever you think brilliance may be. And as always, this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please consult with a financial advisor if necessary. My name is Evan Thomas, and this is the Broke at 40 podcast. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me on this edition of the Broke at 40 podcast. It is July 23rd of 2023. I always say this, don't I? But can you believe it? The year is almost or is half over and actually more than half over. So I hope that all of you are doing well with saving and investing in 2023. Hopefully you're paying off your debt. If you have debt, you're getting your savings rate as high as it can possibly be, which is the content of today's episode, which I'll get to in a little bit after I ramble and give you my money thoughts of the week. Because I really think that savings rate is the most important thing that a late in life saver can do, again, to have financial success. So stay tuned for that coming up. But my money thoughts of this week, and of course, you guys know I'm only producing maybe a couple episodes per month. I'll try to do more. Um, I've been incredibly busy with work, although it hasn't been super busy. The first six months of this year have really been um, more intent, intense from a work perspective than I think these next six months will be or five months. But yeah, it's just um, I want to make sure when I produce an episode, I really, really have something to say. But again, talking through my money thoughts of the week, I wanted to let you guys know that I have an opportunity to buy a new condo. So I'm starting to wonder, you know, is this something I really should do? So bear with me while I talk about this, because I know, you know, some of you may be building your wealth slowly over time, and you may think about having a rental property to produce passive income for you. And I can't believe I'm actually thinking about this. I've thought about it before. I've never done it, but there's an opportunity that I may leverage. And the opportunity is that a friend of mine that lives upstairs where I live on the second floor, which you guys know is a very good thing for me. If you've listened to my past episodes, you know I live in a very hurricane prone area in Florida. And so if we get a direct hit, of course my place could be underwater. These are things I've been talking about for three years on the Broke at 40 podcast. You guys know that I, I fear hurricanes in terms of the flood risk to my property. And yes, I have insurance. I get it. But to be a little bit higher up on the second floor would give me a lot of comfort in knowing that if there was a flood, at least I'd be high and dry up on the second floor, if that makes sense. Although surges in Florida can be very intense. You guys know last year with the hurricane that blew through Florida and Fort Myers was devastated. You may have seen videos of the apartments and condos that were underwater. And so, yeah, you know, the, the Tampa Bay area where I live hasn't had a direct hit since 1921. So a hundred and some years ago, 103 years ago, 
or two years ago, whatever it is. So some people think maybe it will never happen because we're just not at risk for a direct hit. And remember, a direct hit means the category four or five slams right into Tampa Bay. The counterclockwise um, motion of the um, currents of air pushes the water from the Gulf into the Tampa Bay area. So downtown Tampa would be flooded. My area would be flooded. And so, you know, some people again think, well, it hasn't happened, so it probably won't. Or other people, the schools of thought say, well, we're certainly due. (laughs) So you can't really win, right? So I've always thought, as you guys know, of moving to higher ground. So back to this story and my thoughts of the week is that my friend that lives upstairs has decided to move back to Ohio, which is where he's from, to be closer to family. He bought a property. He's going to close on August 8th. And so he offered for me to buy his property for 270000 I know, it seems like a big chunk of change for a condo, but I guess it's really not. Um, and, you know, it's, it's worth about two eighty. so he would save a little bit of money because we wouldn't have realtors. We would do it through an attorney. I could purchase it. But here's my dilemma, really, is I'm not sure how I would do this. I mean, I... I, I money mapped as I always do. You guys know I've taught you this before in terms of I think it's a good idea to always like plan and money map and put your thoughts on paper and then just think about it, put it aside, come back to it, journal a little bit. So I did that and I thought, you know, these numbers, I don't know, it just makes me nervous. But you guys know my um, assets that I have right now is 1190000 Somewhere right in there, of course, my net worth is like 1.4 million at this point because my property that I own outright is worth about 2 or 220 which I could sell really fast I'm sure it would go very fast so I would pay cash to him but I'd have to take my taxable account which is 155 my CD of 50,000 which I'd have to liquidate which I don't really want to do I'd take 37,000 from my savings account and take about 18,000 from my Roth or maybe 40,000 for my Roth to get to the 270 plus there's closing costs. So anyway, it just makes me incredibly nervous, but then I'd sell my place and then replenish those accounts to bring it back to where it is now minus about 60 grand. So for me to make this move, it would be about a 60 to $65,000, um, you know, chunk of change that I'd have to pay. And it's going from a one bedroom to a two bedroom. But if I decide to quit my job at the end of the year, do I really need an office? See where my mind goes? You start thinking about things like this. Yes, it's nice to have more space, but if I'm going to be quitting my job, do I need that extra bedroom, right? So my fabulous four accounts, my 401k, my HSA, my, um, what is it? My 401k, my HSA, my taxable account, and my Roth would really be pretty much the same. But of course it would be a net result and I would have to, in my mind, be like, okay, I'm, you know, yes, I'm getting a larger place. Yes, I'm above ground. But here's where my thought goes. And I'll leave it at this because I don't know what I'm going to do. So stay tuned. But I have to make a decision fast because August 8th is rolling around and he's going to be moving by September. But my thoughts are this. I've lived in this condo for 20 years. Am I able to ride that risk and then, you know, I have insurance that would pay for certain things and then deal with it then in the perhaps unlikely event 
that it could happen. It's possible. I don't know that it's probable. So should I really be that scared and make a move? Or do I make that move and spend the 50 grand to get it all back up to speed or whatever and still live here and just deal with it if that happens? See, that's where my mind goes. So I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but wanted to share that with you because it is something that I'm thinking about. And I'm sure that as you guys are, you know, saving and investing as a latent life saver, there will be things like this that are attractive to you, these silver objects that you think, oh, I want this. And you either bite the bullet and you move towards that and you think, okay, I might have to work a couple more years. And so, yeah, these are things that we all deal with. So I will let you know what I decide to do. Again, I'm not quite sure, but stay tuned. I'll let you know in subsequent episodes. So let's shift gears now and move on to the content of today's episode. So the content of today's episode is, again, how your saving rate, I feel, is your way to financial success. Now, before I move forward with that, I had one more money thought of the week I wanted to share with you real quick. Remember I told you guys about a friend of mine, Michael, that is going into retirement? His last day is coming up this coming Friday, and I'm going to live vicariously through him in August, September, October, November, December, five months, because I want that firsthand experience from somebody that's experiencing early retirement. He's 55. He'll be 56 in December. He quit his job. He works for a large bank. We both had, remember, about the same amount of assets, about the same amount of income. So he's pulling those the trigger right now, and I will be able to live vicariously through him. So again, I will share things with you that I'm learning about what he's doing. I don't know. It's just kind of nice to have a friend, as you guys know, in your personal life that you can confide in and talk about money. In fact, I did meet somebody just recently that I went to dinner with, and I brought up the topic of money. And I told him I had a podcast. I don't tell people, you know, what the name of the podcast is or anything. If they find me, that's great. Um, but because I'm anonymous and I share dollars, I really don't want to tell people exactly what it is. But, you know, you may be surprised by talking to people in your personal life that people might be a little more willing to share or talk about money if they feel like they have made mistakes in the past and they're trying to better themselves. I really think it's important for all of you to have somebody in your personal life, a real person. Um, Not that I'm not a real person. I am. I get that. But I mean, somebody that you can talk to over dinner, over conversations that are people that you know in your geographical area um, that you are close to. And it's always important to really share with people and say, you know what, this is what I'm struggling with, or this is where I've been. Like I told this guy that I had the dinner with, I'm like, yeah, I had a bankruptcy back when I was 29 years old. And he said he had one too. And I was like, really? How did that make you feel? So we were able to share thoughts. And, you know, it's all about forgiving yourself. If you've made money mistakes in the past, which we all have, you know, you got to pat yourself on the back and say you did it the best you could with the knowledge you had. This guy shared with me. He's like, I wish somebody would have taught me about money early on. But nobody talks about money, right? Especially... I think, if they're not doing that well. Do you think really that people are going to sit there and tell you that they have 50 or 60 or $70,000 of credit card debt, that they're living paycheck to paycheck just to pay for this huge house that they have and their leased Mercedes that's in the driveway? 
No, people don't want to talk about that. So if you start conversations by sharing a little bit about yourself and you check the situation and if they start to share a little bit more back, then you know, okay, this is somebody that I can probably confide in and say, this is where I'm going. This is what I want. This is what I hope for. I'm a late in life saver. I didn't start until I was 40. I want to do well with money. And that person then can keep you on track. So shifting gears again, then just briefly in this episode, it's, this is not going to be a long episode about this topic, but I think I really do that for all of you listening, saving rate is more important than what mutual funds you put your money into. Let me repeat that. I think that your saving rate is more important than the mutual funds that you put your money into, especially while you are in the accumulation phase of building wealth. So let me go back and tell you about how I, as you guys know, most of you, if you're new to my podcast, thank you for joining me. But you you may not know this if you're new to my podcast, but I was absolutely broke at 40. I had, as I mentioned, a bankruptcy at age 29. My survival years were 11 years from age 29 to 40. I was living paycheck to paycheck. Finally, I had the opportunity to have extra money in my wiggle room on my build a budget where I could take that money and say, okay, great. What am I going to do with it? Am I going to put it into savings or am I going to start investing? And year by year, you just continue to take, take the money that you get from your job. If you get an increase and you position it and you place it where it has to go for the biggest benefit for you moving forward. And when you're in the accumulation phase again, it, in my opinion, as long as you have your asset allocation set to what you feel comfortable with, I've talked about asset allocation before, and I'm sure you guys know about it, but when you're younger, it could be maybe 80% stocks, 20% bonds. Maybe when you get into your fifties, it could be 60% stocks, 40% bonds. And I don't mean individual stocks and bonds. I mean, mutual funds that ride the market of the S&P 500 or whatever indice you follow, total market type index funds that you have in your 401k. Um, Maybe it's a target fund through Vanguard, which you guys know I have. Um, Those are important. Of course, you want the expense ratios to be low. I may have shared this in a previous episode a couple years ago, but when I was with another company through my 401k, I think it was ING, they, once I started learning about expense ratios, which means how much do you pay within the mutual fund that they take out of the, the gain, I guess, or the, whatever you're, the percent you're getting, it's a fee that you don't really see per se. It's an expense ratio within the result of, you know, whatever you're getting as far as a return. And some expense ratios are like one or 2%. I mean, that's crazy. So those are actively managed funds. But if they ride the S&P 500 or an indice, then they're index funds and they're a lot cheaper to own. So those are built in there. So with Vanguard, Fidelity, Charles Schwab, I'm sure other companies you can get and purchase index funds, funds of multiple stocks of companies, AT&T, Google, Starbucks, whatever, you know, you can open up your mutual fund and you see, oh, there's two or 300 individual stocks here that are part of that fund of mutual type stocks, right? That are bundled all together. So you're purchasing a lot of 
companies. You have diversification of small companies, large companies, medium companies, et cetera. And you're just continuing to dollar cost average and put those dollars into those mutual funds throughout the year. You don't think about it. You live your life. You're happy. And I think that, of course, be mindful of what you're putting your money into. But if you get your asset allocation correct and you're well diversified, savings rate has to be your number one goal, especially for people that are late in life saving like myself. So again, I was broke at 40. I had absolutely nothing, a negative net worth of about $40,000. I remember thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to make something of myself? How am I going to, at that time, I was just thinking I wanted to retire at some point. I didn't even know about early retirement. I had no idea what the you know, fire movement was all about, financially independent, retire early. I just knew I wanted to be as frugal as I could possibly be and save as much as I possibly could in every single year going forward. And, you know, in the fire community, they talk a lot about, of course, the savings rate. And I can't agree with them more that, you know, how do you figure that out? It's pretty simple. You just take your, you know, expenses. And I'll talk about mine here in just a minute, but just briefly expenses, uh, you know, minus income or whatever, and what's left over, and you figure out what your actual savings rate is. I just definitely feel, again, because, you know, and I told the friend of mine that I just had dinner with last night, that that not only, you know, savings rate is most important, but it's, you know, for me to get to the 1.2 million in assets and a 1.4 with my net worth with a condo, it took a lot of my own money. You guys know I've had previous episodes where if I started at 25, it could have been a lot less. But no, I had to put all a lot of that of money, of the my money that I'm earning into those mutual funds. I had to do that to catch up. So let me switch gears now and talk through briefly here um, what I call my 2023 money map to show you how I get to a savings rate. Okay, so I've shared this with you before briefly, but I know I have new listeners and it's always good to revisit this. And I like to talk about it and, 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 and remind myself of how well I may be doing. And I would encourage you guys to revisit every couple months and think about how well you're doing as well. So my total income for the year, I'm gonna start there. And remember when I do this type of analysis, when I say income, I mean everything you have coming in, including matches on your 401k, if you have a 401k or your health savings account. Put those numbers in the top number. I call it gross, total income. 120000 is what I have here because that includes my salary, my um, matches on my 401k and my health savings account, and my company gives us a stipend for cell phone reimbursement. So that's about 120000 Now, to get to a true savings rate, I like to take out taxes. So when I did this before, and I have this all on paper in front of me here, my taxes are about $26,000 per year. So the subtotal then would be about $94,000, right? $120,000 minus the $26,000 is $94,000. So that $94,000 is the total starting point, if you will, right? 
of money that I have and it has to go somewhere. It's either going to be saved or spent. So that is the, the total, the number we're going to be starting with to get to the numbers for your savings rate. I have three different buckets here that I call them. Let's start with fun and other. As you guys know, that's about $7,500. So what's the subtotal after that? About 67,500. And that 7,500 represents about 8% of the 94,000. Then my true expenses, you guys know, as I've shared before, get your expenses down, pay down debt. As you get older, you're 45, you're 47, you're 48, you're 50, you're 52, you're 55. Always concentrate getting your expenses down as low as they can be. Remember, I've got food, gas, electric, cell, internet, property tax, condo association, auto insurance, and two condo insurance policies. One of which I could drop, by the way, about five or $600 if I move upstairs. Anyway, that comes to about 19000 And let me pause here just briefly and share with you that you guys know I'm always looking for ways in my operating budget to save money. I have been going to Visible. Have you heard of them? Visible is a company um, that runs through the rails of Verizon, but they're not Verizon. Um, and believe it or not, for $30 a month, I can have unlimited talk and text, unlimited data, and one hotspot device can be connected for $30 a month. That includes taxes, crazy. Visible.com, check it out if you want. But my thought process is, as I've been working from home, I've been using the, I turned off my router for my internet to do a test, and I'll probably do that for a couple of weeks before I drop the internet service. That's about $768 because I can use the hotspot for my cell phone to power a device. Now, it does mean one device at a time. So I could do the my work laptop or stream my TV or my MacBook Air or my Kindle HD Fire, one device at a time. I'm okay with that. I can still listen to music on my cell phone if I'm running the computer for work. So I'm, I'm still, I'm thinking through that, but I'm thinking how reliable is it, right? So I'm hoping it, it is. It's a little slower than it, it would be through my internet. However, you guys know I'm pretty frugal. So I'm, I could save about $90 or, you know, $1,000 a year, which is pretty substantial when you think about it. I think I told you guys I have an assessment at my condo community of one $3,000 this year and probably another 3000 next year. So Things are getting more expensive. So you always have to think of ways to cut costs. Anyway, I digress. But the total operating budget I have is roughly $19,000 per year, which represents 20% of the 94,000. Are you following me? So now the subtotal comes down to $75,000, I think. Somewhere in there, did I do that right? 94,000, we took away the fun another, and now we're taking away 19,000. So. What's left over, or I call it OTB, open to buy. Open to buy means open to, to save, right? Or open to invest. So that number is $68,000. So I break that down into, I'll give you the numbers for this. It's 6,700, which is 6% into my 401k and 6% of my bonus. 4,750, which is the match on my 401k. 7,500 my Roth. Um, oh, I may, I may not do that though. Remember like I did last year in 2022, I might do a lump sum. I no longer dollar cost average into my Roth because I'm building up my savings account, right? My cash reserves. So 
I may do that though. If the market tanks or something, I might purchase one lump sum into to a Roth. But if not, it'll go into my uh, Alley Savings account. Okay, so seventy five hundred there. Um, the what I'm saving into my four hundred one k and my HSA is um, four thousand eighty and seven seventy is the HSA match. Oh yeah, because remember I'm now taking the matches out to get the total savings. Okay, that's forty eight fifty total for those two, which leaves forty four thousand five hundred, which I call short term reserves. Right, it might be my online savings account. It may be CDs. It might be my I-bonds, right? I did purchase I-bonds, as you guys know, earlier this year. So that's a total of 68000 which represents 72% of the 94000 So I'm not sharing this with you guys to like brag or anything, but this is what I would encourage you guys to do. You know, you don't go around telling your friends, oh, I've got a 72% savings rate. But if you're a late-in-life saver, and you have a big income, like many of you probably do, and you have opportunities to pay down debt, and it may take a year or two or three, and you gradually then shift those funds that you are paying towards debt into these other savings and investing vehicles so you can get your savings rate up every single year. So let me end the episode with this. You guys know that for me, I've had a modest income. I don't make a lot of money. I'm not making two or $300,000 per year, like some people, but I started at $40,000. I think I always say somewhere in there around 2005 or 2006 when I was broke at 40. And now I'm up to, you know, the 120 range, but that took, you know, 25 years, you know, 20, 25 years to get there. It didn't just happen overnight. And my saving rate wasn't 72% all of these years. No, back then it was 10%. Then it was 15%, then it was 20%, then it was 30%. Very slow, gradual increase of savings rate over time. And here I want to close this episode with saying that the most important thing of a high savings rate really is that you'll be able to build wealth faster than if you didn't have a high savings rate. I know that sounds pretty common sense, right? <laughs> but it's true. As a late in life saver, you have to put more of your money into the investments because I also think that over the next 10 to 15 years, as you guys may have heard through Vanguard and other companies, they're not thinking that the return on mutual funds is going to be as great as it's been over this past bull market that we've all taken advantage of, hopefully, and leveraged it might not be um, such high returns. So with that being said, having a higher savings rate really guarantees that you will do better. And I'm going to leave you with this. The other thing that a high savings rate can do is that, you know, a lot of times you hear in retirement, we have to replace 80% of our current income or something ridiculous like that, right? Well, that's not true in my case or your case. If you have a high savings rate, I only need $19,000 for expenses, an additional $8,000 for fun and other, which is $27,000 plus, as you know, which I've talked about before, money for health um, you know, insurance if I retire early before the age of 65, of course. But it's still much lower than if I needed 80% of the $120,000. Are you following me? So as you get older, really, you have a perceived income and a real income. But you're saying my perceived income is it's much lower because I'm only spending a little bit of what I'm making. And that's the value journey. 
that I talk about a lot on this podcast that, you know, you're working hard for your company all of these years, you're doing great for them, but really you're turning that around and you're saying they're doing something for you because you're not spending all your money, you're saving it and investing it and you're building an engine as as large as it could possibly be so that it can pay for your expenses and you can retire early if that's your goal. So I'm going to leave you guys like I always leave you. I want you to make it your mission to walk with me to wealth. You guys know I appreciate you. I believe in you and I congratulate you for every step of the way. I'm Evan Thomas. I'll see you next time on the Broke at 40 podcast.